find out if you're ready for love. Here's your marvelous host, Nikki Lee. Hello, and welcome to Ready for Love Radio. This is your host and love coach, Nikki Lee. Neurodivergent. This is a term that I heard a while back, and I'm like, neuro, what? And, you know, there's so many new terms that describe people and conditions and things. And the first time I heard it, I didn't get the full gist of what it is. And I discovered somebody that can explain it to me right. And I said, all right, so i got to have her on the show, and we got to have her explain it so that we can all understand it. And you all know that when I bring somebody on the show, I want somebody that really knows what they're talking about. So I tell you what, I've found somebody, and y'all, she is going to be entertaining and educational. So, you know, I, I like to entertain us folks, but I want us to get the right stuff. So I found Kate, and, and y'all are going to like this. This is cute. She actually goes by Katiosaurus. Did I get that right? You did indeed. Hello, everybody. I got it right. Okay. Her, her actual name is Kate Osborne, but she goes by Katiosaurus online, and she is a certified mental health and certified neurodivergent sex educator. I find that fascinating. She is a content creator, a podcast co-host of Katie and Eric's Infinite Quest, an ADHD adventure, an advocate for tabletop role-playing games and relationship spaces and online media personality with a community of, this just staggers my mind, more than 2 million followers and 500 million views and fan engagements on OnlyFans, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch. And I, I took a look at one of her, her Twitch deals, and I, I now know what a boo bucket is. Thank you very much. I didn't know either. <laughs> <laughs> where she creates informative videos that inspire and uplift others in need of positive reinforcement and support. Now, pri- and, and I have to include this other, this other stuff because this is close to home, literally, folks. Prior to her advocacy work, she was a professional magician, and she held the position of entertainment director at Fairburn's Georgia Renaissance Festival. This is so cool. And was an actor and teaching artist at the American Shakespeare Center in Stanton, Virginia, which is technically right down the road from me. She holds two master's degree in Shakespeare and a BFA in theater. And after a former ADHD diagnosis at age 30, She now prioritizes educating others on the importance of maintaining mental health while struggling with the ups and downs of depression. You know, I saw that and could not believe, and I even pronounced Stanton right. I bet you everybody doesn't do that, do they? They don't. Well, honestly, nobody (laughs) ever reads the full bio. So, like, that was just very impressive from the beginning of the whole thing. I was just like, oh, she's going to read the whole bio. (laughs) Well, I, I, I think, well, I, 
I think I think the Renaissance Festival. Not, I think that's all impressive. <laughs> I was I and, I do well, kind of miss that job. I'm not going to lie. It gives a full picture of everything you do, and and I think I mean I I spent a lot of time researching you and looking at, at like the full picture of what you do, and and I think your background in the Renaissance Festival, and I looked you up in IMDb. And and the fact that you worked at the Shakespeare and at Blackfriars and all this, I think that adds an element of what you do, and it definitely adds an element to Kyosaurus. Does yeah. it not? Yeah, I mean, it definitely does. Exactly. I mean, it all adds to you and how you became what who you are and what you're doing, right? Yes, it, that is absolutely you know. true. I mean, I could have shortened it, but I, I think it all You see, some people have like a five-page bio, and it's like, you don't need to do what she did in kindergarten unless it applies to what she's doing now. <laughs> you know? it, it all plays into it. So, I, yes, I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was all important. And the fact that you did it here is also important. So, <laughs> so welcome. So do you prefer Kate or Katie or? Uh, Kate is what fine. Do you prefer? Okay. Hello, Kate. Welcome to Ready for Love Radio. Thank you so much. I'm so <laughs> excited to be here after that lovely introduction. Well, see, I, you know, I think, I think we're going to have fun. I do. And who knows? Might even have you back. Because <laughs> so, I, I just get this feeling we're not going to cover everything we should talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. I believe. I've, I've, I've faith. Have- I, I know how to find you. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I know how to find somebody who can find you. How about that? <laughs> All right. So neurodivergent or neurodivergency. Yes. And I, I've struggled to, to make sure I can say that word. What is this? This is I, I hadn't even heard that until a few months ago. Yeah. So what is it? And, so, and I was just told it was, it was people who see things differently. And I went, well, I, I've been that forever, but it, it's bigger than that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's a great place to start um, because basically neurodivergent um, means or, or is defined as people who differ in their mental or neurological function um, in a way that is considered a departure from a typical or normal brain. Now we could sit here all day and argue, you know, what constitutes a normal brain, like how much, you know, uh, does depression have to affect you before, you know, you're not considered quote unquote normal anymore, right? So there's a lot of like variance. Um, But basically when we talk about neurodivergency, what we are talking about is a larger spectrum of um, brain function that is called neurodiversity. So you've got neurodivergency and neurodiversity. Um, and neurodivergency basically just is, or sorry, neurodiversity is basically just referring to variations in the human brain um, and the way that we exercise cognition. Um, so what that means is that the neurodivergent umbrella covers things like ADHD and autism and, um, you know, many mental illnesses, depression, um, you know, Tourette's, OCD, um, things that are structural differences in the brain that make it perhaps more challenging to get through your day-to-day life. Okay, so it was it was put to me 
in a more casual see things differently. You know, it, it wasn't a medical diagnosis. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. That's that's yeah. and that's a great that, point. That, so neuro, that, you're not. You don't, yeah. So you don't go yeah, to the doctor I'm, and get diagnosed as you know, quote unquote, neurodivergent. Um, but what that basically means is that the neurodiv, the word neurodivergent is is a word for the community of people who fall under that umbrella. Um, so you know, you would go to the doctor and you would maybe get an ADHD diagnosis or an autism diagnosis or you know. Uh, dyslexia, dyscalculia, whatever your particular challenge may be. Um, and then that's going to be your official diagnosis. But the word that we use to talk about the people who are in that community of, hey, my brain is different, my brain functions differently, that is where we bring in the term neurodivergence. Okay. So it's, it's the group or community, like you said, of all of these people who have a diagnosis which is an indication that their brain truly does function in a different sort of way. Yeah, and it's also important to remember, though, too, that not everybody who is neurodivergent has a diagnosis. Um, you know, it's kind mm -hmm. of like if you go to the doctor and you say, hey, I'm not feeling well. I have a cold and a runny nose and a headache and a sore throat. And the doctor says, oh, well, I think you have the flu. The moment when you have the flu does not occur when the doctor says that you have the flu. That's just the, the moment that you have the word for, oh, I have the flu. So people live mm -hmm. their life as neurodivergent people, whether or not they have an official diagnosis. Um, and then even more than that, in the neurodivergent community, especially for uh, many people with autism and ADHD, um, self-diagnosis is extremely valid and extremely useful in the uh, community because many people don't have access to diagnosis. Many people don't have access to healthcare and that kind of thing. Um, and so it's always important to note, to note that if you struggle with, you know, things that neurodivergent people struggle with, then you are part of and a valid member of that community, whether or not you have a piece of paper, you know, that says you have ADHD or whatever. Well, that's, that's like, I've, I've literally had allergies my entire life and coming from a family that everybody has allergies and I can be around certain things and my eyes will water and, and my eyes will swell up and I'll sneeze and sneeze and I take allergy medicine and it clears up. But I went to an allergist and he did like the, the needle test all over my entire back and they were all negative. Yeah. And, and, I'm that, like, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and actually, that's, I, I love that as, yeah. a, as an example because that's actually a wonderful microcosm of kind of the struggles and experiences that many neurodivergent people uh, have as they are looking for that kind of official piece of paper is that a lot of times misdiagnosis can happen or a medical professional yeah. is not necessarily informed about the, the depth and scope of, of disorders like ADHD or autism. Um, and so a lot of people, fly, like me, I'm a great example of it. I didn't know that I was neurodivergent until my 30th birthday um, because I flew under the radar, you know? And so if you go to the allergist and they say, well, you don't have any allergies, but you know that every spring your eyes are burning and your nose is running, it's like, well, no, something right. is up, you know? So yeah, I love that as yeah, an example. Yeah, well, that's that's when you were explaining that. I'm sitting here, I, Boy, do I have a story, you know. 
I, I finally I finally went in to be tested because I said, okay, well, you know, I, I know all the things that I'm pretty sure of, but it would be good to have confirmation. And, and when I sat down and he says, you don't have any allergies, I'm sitting there going, you're an idiot. <laughs> you know? <Yeah>. So, <laughs> all right. Um, okay, so it it won't – okay, all right. So that that really helps me because, like I said, the, the initial definition I got didn't help me at all. <laughs> well, I'm glad to be of service. What's the next step for somebody? What, how can you help people or what should people do if they are in this community? Well, I think the real truth is that if you know one neurodivergent person, you know one neurodivergent person. Um, many oh, okay. neurodivergencies, especially um, my primary area, I, I want to be very clear, a lot of things fall under the neurodivergent umbrella, but my area yeah. of focus and what I know the most about is ADHD and autism, and so that's what I'm going to be talking about today. Um, but mm-hmm. if you know one person with ADHD or you know one autistic person, um, you know one person with ADHD, right? Um, and so what they right. need might be completely different from their neighbor or their friend who also has ADHD. Um, you know, the same thing with autism or bipolar or depression or, you know, any neurodivergency. Um, so I don't think that there is one very specific answer aside from support, understanding, right. acceptance. Um, many people, especially people in my uh, community who, who kind of like come to my content, um, many of them are late diagnosed. And that means that for a very long time, I think the current record is there's a, I think right now she's 97. She's a 97-year-old woman living in Montana, and she just found out that she had ADHD. That's my oldest person so far. Um, You know, so people have lived for over half a century, um, you know, not knowing that they have these challenges and these issues. Um, And that can be really difficult. And so asking, you know, well, what do you need? That is sometimes a much more generative and a much more useful question than saying, how do I support your ADHD? Um, Because, you know, it really just depends. Um, And so being open and and communicative and supportive, I think that that is the universal answer. That is the thing that you need the most is grace and understanding and compassion that we aren't you know, being inconvenient on purpose. We are not trying to be a hassle on purpose. Um, it is that our brains are structured differently. Our, built, our brains are built differently. And those differences create challenges navigating a world that is not built for us. Right, right. I think a big part of that is communicating and letting the other person know that mm-hmm. because I know that well my boyfriend has ADHD and I've, mm-hmm. I've never been around a person that has ADHD and dealt with them one-on-one yeah know? so that's like that's like I was picking them yesterday and because there'll be a lull and he'll pick up his phone and start playing on TikTok mm-hmm. and, and I was joking and I said you know I and, and I'm, I'm just saying this jokingly, I promise. I said, but it, it's, it's funny because I, I get the feeling I bore you, you know, because you just pick up your phone and start playing. And I, I understand it's the ADHD, 
but that's just how it feels to me. I'm just I'm just telling you so that you're aware of that. That's all yeah. I'm saying. I'm not yeah. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just saying how it feels so you'll know. I understand. I'm just telling you. You know. So just communicating to each other, not in an accusatory way. And and that's like we'll be doing something and he's constantly looking at the clock just to keep himself aware of the time. And I, I noticed it, and I'm like, what is he doing? And just telling me why he did it. Now when he does it, and it's a time that, that it would probably irritate me normally, now I just kind of laugh because I know what he's doing. You know? Yeah. Whereas before, I'm like, what? You, know? <laughs> you shouldn't be looking at the clock right now. You know. So, so learning to kind of say, you know, this is probably something that I, I, I just need to explain. Take a minute and just explain it to each other. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think that, you know, another thing that partners of neurodivergent people can do, one of the best gifts you can give that person is to just simply educate yourself about their specific brand, you know, of neurodivergency. Yeah. Um, you know, because I think having a, a understanding of, you know, when your partner looks at the clock, it's not a commentary on you, it's not a commentary on their relation on your relationship. It's a commentary on the often very common phenomenon of ADHD people struggling with time perception. You know, when an ADHD person like you know, picks up their phone and starts fiddling, it's not a commentary on you or your relationship. It is a commentary on their executive dysfunction and, you know, how they navigate task management and prioritization and, you know, object constancy, like all of those things. Um, and so when, when we talk about neurodivergency and really understanding neurodivergency, I think one of the first steps is after you kind of get to that place of like, hey, I accept you and I understand that sometimes I might not understand what you are going through, but I support you. I think the secondary follow-up to that is absolutely doing exactly what you did, learning about ADHD, learning about their neurodivergence, and, and saying, you know, I'm going to take the effort to make sure that I understand where you're coming from so I am not putting those personal aspersions or judgments or, you know, projecting uh, frustration or anger or disappointment or resentment onto a situation that you fundamentally can't really control. Um, and so, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a lovely point. Well, it's, it's much better to ask than to just assume and oh, then yeah, get mad about absolutely. it. Well, and like I said, don't don't ask in an accusatory way. Say, okay, can I ask? Why are you doing that? <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a learning experience. <laughs> it has. It's interesting. It has been interesting. Yeah. One of the programs that I saw that you've done in in some of the conferences you've been at is called Maintaining Mental Health as a Content content Creator. So what types of content creation do you do? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> all of them. Um, I, I got my start on TikTok, um, and then I transitioned from TikTok 
to YouTube. Uh, and then I also have an Instagram and a Twitter. I also am a Twitch streamer. I also have an OnlyFans and I have a podcast. Um, I also do a lot of work in the TTRPG or uh, tabletop role-playing games, so like Dungeons and Dragons, that kind of thing. Um, I do a lot of work in that community, so I do a lot of streams, a lot of charity games, that kind of thing. Um, so I have my fingers in a lot of pots. Tabletop. I was trying to figure out what the TT... I got the role-playing game, but I could not figure out what TT stood for. Got it now. Okay. That's been driving me crazy. All right. I hate it when I can't figure out what the abbreviations are for. Okay. And I, mo- most of your abbreviations on all of your stuff I figured out, but that one I hadn't come up with yet. <laughs> no worries. Okay. <laughs> what the heck is TT stand for? Okay. And like I said, I, I know what a boo bucket is now because I was looking at your Twitch. Okay. Um, what? Well, and, and I know people ask content creator and they're like do you do you create content I was oh good heavens how long have you got (laughs) (laughs) just just all the types of books I do will take us for like a half an hour um and don't don't ask me to list them that's going to take two days um okay so do do you feel or do you think that people with with any kind of that any kind of um mental health concerns or any neurodivergent people might shy away from being content creators? Um, Do you think they might? Or I love this question um, because I think right now we are in a very interesting time in terms of social media Um, because right now there are so many different avenues for social media. You've got Twitter, which is very like short, you know, uh, snappy, pieces of writing. You've got Instagram, which is just, you know, single photos at a time, you know, short videos a little bit, but they're still, you know, there's kind of a mix there. You've got TikTok, which is short videos. You've got YouTube, which is longer videos. You've got Twitch streaming, which is, you know, you can stream for, you know, 20 minutes. You can stream for 20 hours. It's totally up to you. Um, And so I think that we're in this sort of like really interesting renaissance where not only are neurodivergent people making content, um, but they are making, they're, they're now able to make content on their own terms. Um, and for right. a lot of neurodivergent people, not only are they making content on their own terms, but for the first time, we are really hearing from the neurodivergent community, um, and they are starting to tell their own stories. Um, previously to this kind of like era of social media, one of the most frustrating things about being a person with ADHD or being uh, an autistic person was that the narrative was always sort of around you. Um, In the disability community, we have a saying that is nothing about us without us. Um, And if you look at books Mm -hmm. about ADHD or autism that were written even in the early, you know, 2000s, 2008, 2009, 2010, that era, so much of the literature, so much of the conversation is about, quote unquote, fixing your kids or how to get your kids to behave or look like a neurotypical, quote unquote, normal kid. It was it was not about really embracing the challenges of neurodivergency. It wasn't about supporting your child on the individual level and really getting them the help that they need. It was about how do you get your kid to stop screwing around in class, right? And so I think 
what is happening is that as more people have stepped up, and I am certainly not the first person to do this by any stretch of the imagination, um, but as people like me are, are stepping up and they're saying, hey, actually my experience is this, or actually my experience with ADHD is this, or my experience with autism is this, that is generating more conversation, that is generating more content, and that is generating a sort of metaphorical seat at the table for more neurodivergent people to come and make content and say, hey, you know, this is my lived experience. Um, and that impact on the community has been profound. Um, the amount of research and, and just conversation around ADHD and autism, especially in the past even five years or so has just blown up and it is because of these creators who are going online and they are making this content and they're saying no 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 we are not going to let these people who don't have ADHD define this experience for us anymore we're going to do it in the way that makes sense to us it might be art it might be web comics it might be short videos it might be longer videos it might be for, you know, in my case, pithy one-minute videos about sex and ADHD, but we're going to do that on our own terms, and we are going to take back that conversation. Um, and I think that has just been an incredibly powerful thing for the community as a whole. That's good, because I see too many people out there saying what they think other communities need and want, and it's like, stop talking for everybody else and let whatever group it is, speak for themselves, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, just sit down and be quiet if that's not you. <laughs> each, each community has their own voice. You know, they can, they can find a way to get it out there. So, okay, now, how does content creation and put additional stress on our mental health and what, can we do about that? Because oh, we gosh. know that, yeah, we, we know that it will. And this, this is going to lead into how do we handle the pain in the neck, the neck people that don't like what we're putting out there? Because there oh, are going to be some. That is such a broad question. Um, okay, let's start with the first part, um, which is that okay. I think one of the, one of the beautiful things about you know, social media is that you can go on and you can have a presence and you can tell your story and all the wonderful things that I get to do every day. Um, but also, I think one of the toughest parts about social media is that, especially as a professional full-time content creator, is that there is the expectation that you create content. Um, and the content <laughs> machine never stops working. It is running 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year. And I think it can be really easy, especially when you are on platforms like Twitter or TikTok, where there is a constant, 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 constant stream of information and new content just coming at you all the time, that if you are not making, you're failing. If you are not making, you are falling behind. If you are not actively right now working, you are not serving yourself, you're not serving your community, and you're, you know, you're falling behind and you're becoming irrelevant. That is not true. That is not the case. That is not how it works. Um, but it can be really easy to fall into that narrative. Um, and the farther that you go into that narrative of I have to always be making um, 
you know, it, it can lead to burnout. Um, and the second part of that, too, is because of the way social media works. Social media works sort of like, I always describe it, like I described it to my mom as, okay, imagine that, you know, you're, you're looking at someone's house, you know, and they pull back the curtain so you can see what's inside. They're in charge of that curtain. You know, they can pull back that curtain as far as they want, you know, give you as little or as much of themselves as they feel like giving. But at the end of the day, part of the social media experience is that it is not just about the fact that I know a lot about ADHD. It is not just about the fact that I'm a certified sex educator. It is about me. It is about me as a person and people's investment in me. You know, they think I'm funny. They think I'm cool. They think my dog is cute, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, but the but there is a, a giving of oneself and a revealing of oneself that happens on social media. Um, and sort of that combination of, you know, always be making content and also, you know, give of yourself constantly and give and give and give and give, um, but in a way that you don't really get a lot back. You know, you get, you know, I, I in particular, because I talk a lot about mental health, I do get, I think, more back than a lot of creators do. And I'm very fortunate because of that. But the real truth is that that sort of combination of give and give and give and give and make and make and make and make, it leads to profound burnout. It leads to profound yeah. exhaustion. Um, you know, there are people that I remember, um, you know, started on TikTok at the same time as me and they are no longer on social media. You know, they just quit. They just left um, because of the constant grind. Um, so I think that is that can be really challenging, especially when you have a neurodivergency like ADHD or depression where you might struggle to get out of bed or you might struggle to finish things or you might struggle to get your work done. Um, that can lead to, you know, this kind of feeling of, oh, I'm not good enough or I'm not good at my job or, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, I think similarly, the fact of the Internet is that anybody is allowed on it. Um, and so, yeah. you know, there are trolls, there are naysayers, there are critics, there are people who are honestly just really mean for no reason, <laughs> except that that's yeah. what helps them get through the day. Um, and so, you know, that is that is somewhat of an issue. Um, but the nice thing is that I think, especially, you know, especially in my case, I've, I've been harassed, I've been doxxed. My mom got sent naked pictures of me that somebody stole um, you know, hacked my account and stole like that kind of thing. Um, and that sucked. Like that was, that was a, a, that was a really terrible thing that happened. Um, but at the end of the day, I get to know that I'm helping people. I get to know that my content makes a difference. Um, and so for me, a lot of this work is about not giving those people power, not giving those people time, not giving those people attention, um, and kind of going from there. You know what I mean? Did you say that she saw you naked before anybody? <laughs> well, it's really funny because my mom, um, she prosecuted uh, <laughs> sex crimes um, in uh, it, when in my hometown. Um, she's a prosecutor, and she was and she kind of was like SVU in my hometown. Um, and so it was really oh, funny cool. because she got like sent like stolen nudes, and she was like, "You literally just sent somebody who prosecutes people who send stolen nudes 
stolen nudes. Like, what are you doing? Like, it was really funny. Like, she didn't care. Like, she was completely unfazed. And she just called me, and she's like, hey, um, I just want you to know that this happened. I'm not mad or upset. Are you okay? Um, and sort of the, the silver lining of that experience is that my mom and I got a lot closer. Um, because previously, I don't think she really understood the size or the scope of my audience and my job. And I still kind of don't know if she knows what I do for a living. Um, like, she doesn't really understand social media but that was one of the first times where I got to sort of like tell her like okay I have two million people who know who I am you know like I go on tours I do like and so it was this kind of like really beautiful experience that came out of it of just having this opportunity to like you know share with my mom and really like uh talk to her about it in a way that I hadn't before uh and I always I always just think that's kind of funny is the trolls were there to like ruin our relationship and they actually wound up like improving it significantly. <laughs> that's interesting. That's and, well in her background that's hilarious. Yeah. That's wow. Yeah, I, I would have come up with um she she's seen it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I was like, you know, she was she was there, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's too funny. It's too bad she wasn't still doing that work. That would that would have really been funny. I know, right? Wow. Oh, that's too wow. Oh, you know, the um <clears throat> one of the interviews that I would listen to that you did, y'all were talking about how people tend to have this thing where they say, "Well, you just need to try harder. You just need to try harder." Yeah. And the thing that popped in my head and that that is that is an irritating thing when people do that and it it reminded me when whenever i've i've been in the hospital and i've i've had some major major open heart surgeries and and people have this little thing and they say oh you've got this you've got this that when somebody is is working with you and helping you and they say you've got this that's one connotation to me but when when they're kind of not supporting you or they're they're kind of staying at a distance and saying you've got this i i see that completely differently do you agree with that um or have you ever kind of experienced that i feel like Gosh, that's a tough question. I mean, I think that the the narrative around, like, you just need to try harder is a really insidious one, especially in the neurodivergent community. Because kind of like I said before, a lot of people live their whole lives not knowing that there is they are neurodivergent. They don't know that they are literally right. born with a structural difference in their brain. Um, and so, right. you know, there's a, there's a study done a few years ago that said, like, you know, I think by the time they're 12, kids with ADHD receive 20,000 more negative messages than their peers. Um, and at some point, you start internalizing that, you know, like, what's wrong with me? Like, why, you know, everybody just keeps telling me to focus or just clean your room or just whatever. Um, but that can be really difficult. And so I think the assumption of kind of like what you were saying, you know, like, oh, you got this or, you know, it's, it's, you know, just try harder. I think those can absolutely be grounded in kindness. I think those can absolutely be grounded in messages of support and love, but they also belie a fundamental misunderstanding of what is absolutely going on. Right. 
Right. Well, the, I, I think I think they start out nice. Well, I, I think I think honestly, most people when they say and and uh, the word just just needs to be thrown out completely because it does it just doesn't help. Okay, it doesn't help. Forget I said just. <laughs> it, it, it's not useful. Um, I, I when when somebody's actually helping me, and they say, "Okay, try a little harder." That's that's one thing. But when somebody says, "Oh, just try harder," mm-hmm. that's irritating, you know. Or just do it. That's irritating. So it's it, it's the word just. I'm telling you, it's the word just. Yeah. Um, it needs to just it needs to be trashed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Does. It's not useful, but um, I, I think that's the solution. I, I I couldn't come up with a solution last night, but I think it's we need to throw out the word "just." It needs to be done away with. That's what I agree. Okay. <laughs> I, saw, I I couldn't come up with it last night. I needed to say it out loud. We need to throw out the word "just." Okay. See there. There we go. Solved the problem. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, I I made a discovery on another one of my shows. One of one of my guests, actually, I don't know if you've ever read the book "Unfuck Your Brain." Have you read that? Ah, uh, yeah, actually. And if you love that book, oh my goodness! And I interviewed interviewed Faith on the on the show. We actually did two shows together. Loved her. She was just she was so much fun. Um, interviewed her, and she told me about the spoon theory. Love yep. the spoon theory, and I use it all the time. I hear you have the fork theory. <laughs> one of them. Apparently, there's more than one fork theory. Um, but yeah, uh, okay. I started talking about it um, on <laughs> on TikTok, and it, it kind of became a thing. Um, but it was really funny because, well, actually, I was just telling the story yesterday. Was that so? Basically. A spoon theory, very briefly, um, was invented by a woman uh, named Christine uh, Christine Misandarino, um, and she used it to explain the lived experience of living with a chronic uh, uh, illness. Um, and basically, it's like you get a certain amount of spoons every day, and each spoon represents like a task or a thing that you have to do. And when you run out of spoons, you're done for the day. And some days you get a lot of spoons, some days you get a little bit of spoons. Um, but what I said is that I'm a person with ADHD who also lives with chronic pain and disability, um, which is a killer combination. Um, and so what I sort of used to describe my lived experience is that, you know, you know, spoon theory, you might say, okay, I need to take a shower. Um, but in reality, taking a shower is a series of smaller tasks. You know, you need to get up, you need to get a towel, you need to get in the shower, you need to wet, you know, get wet, you need to wash your hair, you need to rinse out your shampoo, you need to condition your hair, you need to rinse the conditioner, maybe shave your legs, whatever floats your boat, right? That's a lot of tasks. But the thing with the ADHD brain is that uh, because of the way that our, our uh, ADHD manifests, many of our struggles come from executive function. And executive function are basically the functions that your brain uses to get through the day. Um, and a lot of it has to do with tasks, with spoons, right? Um, so things like uh, task management, task prioritization, remembering to do tasks, being able to start tasks, being able to finalize tasks. And the the sort of 
I don't want to say scary, but I'll, I'll use the word insidious. The insidious thing about the ADHD brain is that at any point in that series of getting up, getting the towel, getting the shampoo, rinsing the shampoo, shaving your legs, whatever, our brain can interrupt that task. Our, our ADHD can get in the way, and finishing that task in that moment can get interrupted. Um, and so a spoon, a singular task, becomes this sort of like pronged fork, if you will, of, um, you know, trying to get through all of these things and balance these tasks. And sometimes it works the opposite direction where you're like, okay, I'm going to do the dishes. But then you realize that you're out of soap and then you need to go to the store and get soap. But while you're at the, the, you know, the store, you realize that you need to get gas. And then while you're getting gas, you realize that you haven't gotten any lunch. And then you go to the drive-thru and then, you know... And so the ADHD experience means that sometimes one task can also become many um, just by the nature of how we process information. So that's fork theory. So, so we don't have spoons, we have forks. But somebody pointed out, they're like, oh, so it's a spoon and a fork mixed together, it's sporks. Um, and that's how <laughs> I wound up with, I think at this point, the current number is about 5,000 uh, sporks got mailed to me. People just kept sending me sporks with the joke of like, you really? know, if you're out of spoons, you know, you say, oh, I'm out of spoons for the day. You know, and in the disability community, we talk a lot about like, oh, I wish I could lend you a spoon or like, you know, whatever. Um, and so people thought it was really funny. And so they started mailing me sporks. And now I, I just, I, I'm the weird lady who goes to the Goodwill with just buckets of sporks. And I'm like, I have more for you. <laughs> That's cute. That's cute. Okay, see, <laughs> I knew it would be an interesting story. So, so you you're the one that has all the sporks. Okay, I now do. we know where they are. So when yeah. there's a shortage, we will sure. we will know where they are. I'm going to be rich. Or, or they're, they're your house or your goodwill. One of the two. Yes, I, I I've kept okay. a lot of them, but it comes to a point where I'm like, I really don't need one thousand sporks. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Okay. When we have a sport recession, we're going to come to your house. I'm going to be rich. Okay. It's going to be the greatest day. Yes. <laughs> it's it's a shame we can't trade in sporks. Right? Yes. Yeah. Forget Bitcoin. We need sporks. <laughs> that is so funny. All right. Learning styles versus learning preferences. I love this. I love this idea. Now, I, I, I heard y'all kind of start to talk about this, and I like this. And I've always heard the idea that people have different learning styles, you know, like, like visual, audio, uh, audio, or written. And I'm, I'm actually just getting ready to start putting some online courses on a new platform I just got. So I'm 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 very in, that I really really perked up when y'all started talking about this. So and and I said you know and and she's she's talking about neurodivergent. So she may have a really interesting take on this. And I, I liked when you said it's not really about learning styles but learning preferences. So tell me tell me more about this this learning styles and learning preferences. I like the, I like the fact that, because, well, and, and which way I liked, because I, I, 
I'm one of these people that I've got so many classes on my computer. Actually, I'm, I'm <laughs> that's one reason I have an external hard drive. I have so many classes. Um, and, and many of them I've taken. It's not like I just buy them and don't do anything with them. I, I've actually gone through many of them. But it, it depends on what type it is, what kind of medium I like to use, whether I want video or what I want written and that kind of thing. But is, <laughs> is there something specific that influences our preferences? when we're trying to learn something. Yeah, I mean, so basically, uh, there's been a lot of studies done on, like, learning styles, right? Like, you know, you have visual learners, aural learners, like that kind of thing. And basically, at the end of the day, the, the very short and succinct answer is that they don't exist. Learning styles are a myth. Um, and it okay. has been proven over and over and over again that, um, like, there's no, like, if you, you know, have students watch a movie or, you know, you have students listen to a thing or you have students read a thing, um, fundamentally, they're going to do about as well on, on whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the sort of learning styles, beliefs that are out there just basically come from a very incorrect interpretation of research that, previously existed. Um, and so ultimately, like, it's not about learning styles. There, you know, you might have somebody who responds better to visual than to written, but the person who prefers visual is still absolutely capable of, you know, learning from a written document, the same way that somebody who prefers, you know, a written document can also listen to a podcast and learn something. So this idea that, like, everybody is inherently one thing or they have, like, a thing that they have to have in order to learn um, effectively is kind of uh, maybe not entirely accurate. Um, however, preferences are totally valid, right? Like, um, and a lot of people, especially neurodivergent people, which is why, you know, this is something that comes up a lot in my work, a lot of times neurodivergent people, especially people with ADHD, need additional stimulus. They need additional, like, they need an additional something in order to retain information or to be able to study effectively. Um, and so for some people with ADHD, that looks like, you know, reading the book and then also listening to the audiobook at the same time. You know, for other people, it might be, you know, I, I really struggle with reading because of a learning disability. And so I'm going to watch, you know, the 10 minute YouTube tutorial rather than read the instruction manual, you know, like whatever it may be. Um, but all of those things, the audiobooks or YouTube or, you know, study guides or whatever, those are all tools that we are simply using to support the action of learning. So that kind of makes sense. Okay. Is, is there a study that shows us an overwhelming preference with people? Not really. I mean, the real truth is that it's an, that would be an incredibly hard thing to gauge, you know, because a lot of it also has to do with where you are in your um, education, you know, because like a kindergartner mm -hmm. is probably going to struggle with a calculus textbook, you know, a well, grad yeah. student who is studying <laughs> architecture is going to have a completely different set of needs and, uh, you know, uh, 
stuff that they need for studying um, than, you know, a grad student who's studying Shakespeare. Um, and so that ultimately really? becomes part of it is that rather than saying like, oh, you know, you're a visual learner, an aural learner, whatever, it's, well, what do you need to succeed at the individual level in order to facilitate the thing that is trying to, to be learned? You know what I mean? Right, right. Well, a lot of the stuff that I've got, I've, I've got all three. I've got video and then I've got recordings and I've got print versions so people can, can choose what they want to use. So <clears throat> unless it's something like, you know, an infographic, which, you know, you've yeah. all got one. So, <laughs> you know, but um, <clears throat> figure, have, have all three options when possible just so that they can have their preference. I like yeah, exactly. That. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. there's also I don't I don't remember the name of the organization, but there's been a, a like a cognitive research facility that's had this five thousand dollar prize for like years now, where it's like if you can prove that uh, there's a positive impact of incorporating different learning styles and that students will do better, we will give you five thousand dollars, and no one has ever been able to concretely prove it, which I think is really funny and interesting. Hmm. Yeah, they do those kind of things when they feel when they're feeling very, pretty confident that I know, right? <laughs> you know, I'll put that up there because yeah, you know. <laughs> so, so tell us tell us about your podcast. <clears throat> um, so my podcast is called Katie and Eric's Infinite Quest in ADHD Adventure. We are a top 25 mental health podcast. Uh, we talk about life with ADHD and depression and navigating life as neurodivergent adults. We also have an ongoing D&D campaign called ADHD and D where we play D&D together. Um, and I like it very much and you should listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good when we like our own stuff, isn't it? It's true. <laughs> See, I, I agree. I like my show very much, too. <laughs> it's good when we like it. You know, it all starts with liking ourselves. Exactly. Uh, I'm just picking. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is going to take a while. Where can people find you? Um, you can find me on every social media platform there is as Katieosaurus, C-A-T-I-E-O-S-A-U-R-U-S. Um, you can also visit katieosaurus.com for more information about me, about my touring schedule, see what I'm doing in the news, um, and all of that good stuff. Okay, I have to, I have to, I have to ask this. I was debating, but I have to. Oh, please! Where I'm excited. Please? Where, where did Kadiosaurus come from? Honestly, it's not a very good story. I get asked this all the time. People are like, oh, you must love dinosaurs. And I'm like, here's what happened. So my last name is Osborne. Um, and I went to a very small school growing up where there were there were 18 kids in our graduating class. Um, and of 18? those 18, one eight. Um, and of those 18 kids, four of them were named Katie. So there was KDC, KDK, KDT, and KDO. Um, and so I have been KDO my entire life. Like, I've never been Katie. I've never really been Kate. I've been KDO. That is what everybody called me my entire life. So when I was deciding on my TikTok handle, um, because also this is the thing that nobody tells you, unless you are a very specific type of person, nobody gets a TikTok expecting this to become their life. I certainly didn't. 
Um, and so <laughs> I wanted to be KDOs, which I thought was funny because I thought it sounded like part of, you know, a balanced breakfast from the 90s. You know, KDOs, part of this balanced <laughs> breakfast. Um, but it didn't have enough letters. <laughs> and so I was like, uh, I don't know. What is another thing that would sound good as KDO? And I went, I guess, Kadiosaurus. Um, and then the first piece of fan art came in and I bought a five foot neon sign with my tag on it. And now I guess I'm just Katie, Katiosaurus for the rest of my life. So there you go. <laughs> you, you were in a class with 18 people and there were that many Katie's. Seriously? There were, yep. True story. That, okay. That would happen like around here. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Cause I, I grew up in the Midwest. So, I grew up in uh, the Quad Cities, so it was about, at least my town, it was maybe a little bigger than Stanton, but it wasn't, I mean, it was pretty comparable, at least, like, size of the high school-wise. Wow. Mm. Okay, okay, you've been here. I grew up in Fishersville. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, my, my husband grew up in Stewart's Draft. So, like, yeah, it's big, oh, big, wow, really? big energy there. <laughs> okay, okay. So he went to the high school that is identical to the one I went to. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously, because they, they are. They're, the buildings are identical. Yep. That is so funny. Yeah. Yeah, because he went on to his draft and I went to Wilson. That is so funny. Yep. Oh, <laughs> um, wow. No funny. Uh, see, says Stanton. So, see, the area made a lasting impression on you. That is too <laughs> funny. Okay, so is there anything important that I forgot to ask you about? Oh, uh, gosh, I don't know. It's your podcast, so you're in charge of the questions. Well, but I, but, I feel like you but, did a very good job. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so one, okay, I got time for one more. How does being a sex educator work into your what you're doing? Oh, sure. That's a great question. Um, so basically, I mean, there's this, there's this really – so I, I got my start talking primarily just about ADHD, um, and then I slowly okay. sort of started talking about more stuff. Um, but unfortunately, even in the year of our Lord, 20 and 22, um, there is still yeah. a, a profound misunderstanding and a profound sort of stereotype around ADHD, that ADHD is this thing that, you know, makes school difficult or makes, you know, you maybe a little bit more messy than other people and, you know, maybe – makes you forget to respond to text messages or emails or stuff like that. But the real truth of the matter is that ADHD is an incredibly insidious disorder that impacts every moment of your life from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to bed, um, quite literally. And so when you talk about ADHD, there is just, there's, I mean, there's a lot of stereotypes. There's a lot of misunderstanding. Um, and one of the big ones is that ADHD is somehow magically completely divorced from your sex life. It's completely divorced from your relationships. Um, and that is not true. There is a profound overlap between ADHD and sex and ADHD and intimacy and ADHD and communication and ADHD and just holding down relationships at all. Um, and one of the things that really bothered me was kind of like what I was talking about earlier is that so much of, of the reading and, and writing that has gone into ADHD is focused on like seven-year-old boys. You know, it's like how to get your kid to stop screwing yeah. around in school or how to get your kid to clean their room or whatever. But there wasn't a lot of conversation about, you know, 
what do I do when I get distracted during sex? Or what do I do when my rejection sensitivity is so profound that I can't talk to my partner about what I want? What do I do when I forget that my partner exists because I haven't seen them all day and I'm hyper-focused on something else? You know, what do I do about this? What are, and so there just weren't, the, the people weren't really having those conversations. Um, and the more that I researched, the more that I learned, um, a, a, I just basically got frustrated. So the real answer is spite is how it all fits in together. Um, because nobody was nobody was really talking about the conversation in a way that was 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 helping me, that was that was guiding me through the process of unpacking, you know, how ADHD really affects my relationships. And I said, okay, well if nobody else is talking about it, then I'm going to. Um, and so I became a cert I, I went back to school. I became a certified sex educator, and my special sort of area of interest and focus is on neurodivergent people. Um, and yeah, but yeah, it, it, it absolutely fix, fits together because eight, like 40% of pe people with ADHD struggle with some sort of sexual uh, dysfunction or disappointment. Um, about 60% of people with ADHD live with at least one comorbidity. A lot of times that's depression or anxiety. Um, many people with ADHD struggle with addiction and substance use disorders. Um, I think 90% of people with ADHD have sleep disorders or sleep issues in, in general. Um, and so when you sort of start looking at like the broader, bigger picture of ADHD and like what comes with ADHD, you're never really looking at just ADHD. You are looking at ADHD plus this, plus that, plus this thing and the other thing. And things like depression and anxiety and sleep issues and addiction and, and all of that kind of stuff, that can profoundly impact a relationship. That can profoundly affect the way that we navigate the world. Um, that can profoundly impact our sex life. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it sure does tie in together is what I guess I'm trying to say. I'll tell you what, <clears throat> come up with your 20 best questions, and we'll do it on the show. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Seriously, I'm, I'm more than willing to do it. So you let, me, let me know when you want to do it. Okay? Sounds great. <laughs> Any, anytime you want to, just let me know, and we, we will definitely. I'm, I'm more than willing to share it with the audience. And I, it would be educational for, for the listeners, and, and they could definitely share it with their friends. Yeah, that's so I'm willing to do it whenever you want to. Sounds All good. right. Sounds good. So it has been awesome to have you with me. And I am hoping that we shared information with the audience and they learned lots of cool stuff. I, I can even put a, a message out on Facebook and we can we can ask my connections on Facebook and yours and see if they have questions <clears throat> that they would like to ask. And we can definitely do it. I am I'm willing if you're willing. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Awesome. See what see what people want to know. Yeah, well I'm, thank you I'm so much to... for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, sounds good. So if you have any questions regarding ADHD and sex or intimacy, let's open it up for both, then feel free to send them in to readyforloveradio at gmail.com. So send your best questions. And we'll put them together, and we'll have Katie back, and we'll do it again. So sounds great. All right, listeners, I'll be with you back with you next week on Ready for Love Radio.